Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Data Unchained. I'm your host, Molly Presley. So what is this Data Unchained podcast all about? I get asked this quite often as people are starting to become more familiar of the name of the podcast. Let me give you a little bit of background. Um, The data paradigm for data access has changed. Data allows businesses to build products faster, make more informed decisions, and increase both the revenues and profits. But in today's decentralized world, data is getting further from remote workers. There's an enormous number of distributed applications. Artificial engines are challenged to get the data they need to make the best insights possible. Data Unchained digs into the challenges as well as the solutions for making data an asset globally to all the resources who need it. Today, uh, we have two really incredible industry visionaries joining. This is kind of a powerhouse podcast. I'd like to start by introducing Bill Inman. He's been become known as the father of the data warehouse. And even as we were just kicking off this conversation today, I was joking that it's kind of more like the godfather. And I like that idea um, because the godfather is a bit powerful, a bit scary, um, has a lot of influence to make things happen, whether you like it or not. And, you know, this is a train that Bill saw coming a long time ago, and it's just caught ahead of steam more and more every single year. Um, So, Bill, I thank you for joining today's call. It's just been a pleasure to get to meet you through this process. Separate from that, we have David Flynn, who is another amazing visionary in the industry who has founded several technology companies um, that have really changed the way data is processed, stored, accessed, all the way from the founding of Fusion IO on through his work at Hammerspace that has moved all the way from super fast hardware to software that makes data available. Um, so the t- together, I think we have a great conversation today talking about this idea of really ma- idea of making data available for analytics. Um, so first, Bill, would you give just a little bit more background about yourself and the kinds of things you've been doing in, over the last, gosh, more than a decade in this data warehouse space? Uh, surely. Uh, I, I'm in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I have two Scotty dogs and a wife and, uh, and uh, uh, we have been working on the uh, project uh, for a number of years now of taking text and turning text into something that's usable. A lot of corporations have, have got uh, text in many forms, and there's a lot of really valuable information that's wrapped up in text, uh, but people aren't able uh, to take text and uh, turn them into something that's useful. And that's that's what we do. Awesome. And you've written a few books. Maybe talk a little bit about yourself as an author. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have to tell you, I, I come from a family of writers. Uh, my sister has written uh, a number of books. My father wrote books. And one of our early ancestors was uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And so I, I've never taken a writing course in my life. And one day out of pure frustration, I, I sat down and wrote a book that uh, I really wrote it for myself to explain to myself uh, about the company I was working for and the stupid decisions that they were making. And so when I finished the book, I, 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 I was sitting there by a fireplace one day and, and I finished the book and I, I, I nearly burned it. I thought, you know, the worst that anybody can tell me is that this book is terrible. So I, I submitted it. I was in the Bay Area at the time, San Silicon Valley, and I, I, I submitted it to five publishers. And I'll be a son of a gun. 
I had five major publishers want, want the book. And, and I have to tell you, it was more of a surprise to me than anybody else. And since then, I've discovered that I really enjoy writing, and um, I really enjoy writing. I, I've actually uh, had published 65 books right now. Uh, I've been I had the books translated into nine languages, uh, uh, and I've sold uh, worldwide, I believe, about a million and a half copies. That's super cool. Putting yourself out there and then having that kind of success is awesome. Um, I'm going to share one other little story that there's a company called Databricks, which, I mean, people in the data analytics space know very well. But it's a one of those companies that has a lot of mystique and a lot of success around them. And I saw that you did a four-day four session with Databricks overseeing um, an educational summit with them. And I just think about what a great session that must be, having you leading and guiding the folks who are driving technologies like Databricks into the market. So super cool to have you here. Um, not to be overshadowed, certainly, David Flynn, if you could talk a little bit about your background, and then we'll jump into the meat of this conversation. Well, I'm just really honored to be here with Bill and uh, very much uh, am in awe of his uh, writing capabilities. It's not something that I have that I have done myself, so um, very cool. Uh, my background uh, more on the tech and, and uh, typically in the high-performance area, uh, starting with uh, uh, some of the early introduction of InfiniBand in the supercomputing world, and then um, most notably the uh, um, the company Fusion IO, where we introduced the first enterprise grade solid state uh, 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 SSDs and what has become the NVMe uh, standard. So the whole concept of if we're going to shift the media to something higher performance, we ought to think about a re-architecture of how it is connected, the buses, protocols, controllers, and uh, systems that had grown around mechanical drives needed to be completely rethought, mostly bypassed, um, and, uh, and changed. So uh, Fusion IO was very successful in introducing solid state. And then um, went on back to my roots in software. Uh, did hardware because it was a necessary evil. Somebody needed to uh, to uh, integrate Flash uh, in a in a in a higher performant way. Then went back to the software side, which was to solve the problem that that was then created of how do you manage uh, distributed data, whether it's distributed across servers in Flash uh, within the data center, or distributed across storage systems. Uh, across whole data centers, and that's where we are with uh, with Hammer Spaces, is, is abstracting data at its lowest level, at the file system level, from the uh, infrastructure that stores it. So through my career, I've mostly been working at a, a lower level than uh, Bill uh, at the database and data warehouse level. So I'm really looking forward to the discussion here. It's uh, it's the next level up the stack. So. Um, up the value chain. Perfect. So let's talk uh, a little bit about what is a data warehouse, kind of for those who may not be familiar with the terms, but may get to take advantage of what happens when there's a data warehouse in existence. Could you talk a little bit, Bill, about the concept of a data warehouse and where it kind of originated from and maybe where, how it's evolved over the last several years? Data warehouse started uh, with the pain that people were suffering uh, from having applications. Years ago, organization had lots of applications, and they discovered one day that they couldn't uh, have any kind of communication or exchange of information across applications. And so Data Warehouse uh, uh, went in and said, we need to have 
truly enterprise or corporate-wide data. And to do that, we've got to go back into these applications and rearrange how data is treated, defined, called, etc., and so forth. Uh, and what happened was data warehouse in the early days uh, meant that there was uh, believable, uh, reliable, enterprise-wide data. Today, uh, there is a, a bit broader definition of data warehouse because uh, people still are suffering uh, with the application silos of information they have. But in today's world, we're bringing in all kinds of other kinds of data into the data warehouse, such as textual data that uh, we found that we can start to add textual data to a data warehouse, uh, and that that opens up all kinds of doors. But another kind of data that we can put into a data warehouse is analog IoT data. And so when you mix uh, textual data, analog IoT data, and classical application structure together, again, you need to have across the enterprise believable data. Because, and you say, well, why do we need enterprise believable data? Because corporations need to answer such simple questions as how many customers do we have? Uh, how much revenue do we have? Uh, uh, what kind of products do we have? You would be amazed at the corporations that can't answer those basic questions. And as long as your data isn't put into uh, an enterprise-wide believable format, you can't answer those questions. And as you've thought about this data warehouse, I think it's accurate to say it originally evolved around database data, structured data. Is that true? Or were you looking into things like file data, semi-structured, unstructured, all the other types of data, at least when Data Warehouse first got going? When Data Warehouse first got going, we were living in a swamp and and, and, and we were trying to kill the alligators that were immediately at our front door. We weren't thinking about uh, all of the other things that, that were going on. Since then, Data Warehouse has evolved. And today, today we, we're looking beyond the alligators. But in the first, the first oh, two or three years of data warehousing, believe me, the alligators that are found in applications that can't be merged together uh, were all we had to worry about. Same. So where do you see us kind of as a point in time today? Where is the data warehouse today? Those alligators are still out there, but they're, they're, not, they're not as fearsome as they were uh, many years ago. Uh, today, uh, there is still a need for believable data in the corporation. And, and you know, I, I get asked the question, when is Data Warehouse going away? Let me tell you when Data Warehouse is going away. Data Warehouse is going away uh, uh, when organizations no longer need believable data. It's kind of like saying, when will... Uh, you you die. You will die when you can't breathe air and your heart doesn't beat anymore. So as long as corporations need uh, believable, uh, uh, usable, uh, vetted data, uh, we're going to have data warehouse. David, I think as you think about, you know, Bill's kind of thinking about from the top of the stack down, as you mentioned, and from the bottom of the stack up, I know you have very similar observations. I'd love to hear your thoughts and kind of this evolution over the last decade or two. I'd say the same thing holds when we talk about, uh, you know, file systems. There is, um, uh, you know, there are many places where the file system is the database that people use. It's a lower level abstraction than many of the databases. 
Um, but it's been something that has always embraced um, the full uh, diversity of different types of data, like the textual data, the IoT uh, instrument data, uh, imaging data of all different types. Um, and with that, you have the same problem that when you have so many different file systems scattered throughout uh, you know, each different storage uh, system or service, uh, you have a believability issue. Uh, because those are all forks in time of the truth when you move data around them. So I'd say it, it really is the same problem that in many ways, the structured data folks, um, uh, and data warehousing being, you know, first, the first and foremost alligators. If I was understanding correctly, those alligators that you were talking about were the ones that had to do with structured data, um, being tackled first. Um, you know, th- th- they have, uh, 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 charted a course uh, for, for where to go, but unstructured platforms, or namely generic, the most generic of platform being a, a file system, have uh, have languished and and not uh, not really moved forward with the, the same concept of becoming a single source of truth. And and I like the term you use, being believable, um, something that people can trust uh, for it. And uh, you lack that when uh, it's uh, it's siloed. So over the last several years, I've read a lot about data warehouses, data lakes, how they're evolving. Bill, what's the difference and does it matter? There's a big difference between a data warehouse and a data lake. Uh, a data warehouse has data that's believable data that can be used with trust and confidence. Uh, a data lake was something that vendors threw together, uh, and I thought it was very irresponsible uh, how they did it, They said, you simply take data, throw it into the data lake, and then people can go use the data analytically there. Well, that's not true. Uh, What you find is, is that um, uh, uh, people put data in the data lake, and in, in short order, they can't find anything. Not only can they not find things, they can't, uh, understand what they have when they do find it. And when they, even if they can find what they have, uh, and know what it is that they're un, unable to relate one piece of data to another piece of data. And so organizations quickly find uh, that what's in their data lake turns into a data sewer or data swamp. And and I know I talk to organizations all the time, and it takes about three months of trying to make the data lake work uh, to the point to where... <coughs> They're unable to. And David, I know that you've been building software and thinking just as an industry visionary about where things should go um, with the idea of creating global data sets with a single gold copy. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts in this area? I I like Bill's perspective here, and I think it it relates. And uh, Data Warehouse, because it has uh, a uh, – because it's expected to have quality, it becomes the focal point for folks to drive quality. Uh, and data lakes, uh, by the fact that there is a multiplicity of them, end up being uh, um, di- dispersing that focus on quality, if not completely removing that. And I think that would be, if I'm understanding Bill's uh, definition, because he's the expert here, that's one of the largest differences in definition between a data warehouse uh, versus a data lake. A data lake is more the focus on just the act of dumping it there, unstructured, uncurated, 
and that in the data warehouse there is a semblance of curation and and uh, and quality uh, and to some extent structure as well. Um, so I think this very much goes with with the conceptualization of file systems being dumps around an organization because there are many of them uh, in different systems. So they end up housing uh, housing uh, data that's copies of other data that are at different points in time and aren't aren't maintained to a level of of uh, uh, and focus on quality. So just like a data warehouse gives you a, a, the ability to focus uh, on a single source of truth and accuracy and quality, I think by um, allowing for a single global file system for folks to interact in, you can have it be the source of truth and a focus on the quality there. And I'd love to get your perspective, data, David, on where metadata comes into this. I think intelligent metadata is a big part of this overall story. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? This goes to a question I had for Bill about, you know, we're talking about data warehouses holding uh, more forms of unstructured data like text uh, and telemetry and imagery and other things. So, uh, you know, that's a a question I have. Uh, What is it that allows you to create the structure out of the unstructured uh, with what you're doing. It seems to me that metadata is the key there, but I don't want to leave the witness. So I'm curious what your perspective is. Indeed, David, uh, uh, metadata is the key. Now, there's a couple of issues you have to take into account when you go uh, into the world of text that you don't find elsewhere. Uh, the first issue is the fact that uh, text by itself is, is not meaningful. In order to make sense out of text, you've got to have context that when you, when you deal with uh, text, if you don't have context, you don't have anything. And so uh, that's one thing. And furthermore, uh, there is context. I, I, we've been doing this for a number of years now, and I can tell you that 90% of processing text is uh, finding and understanding context. Uh, text by itself is relatively simple. Uh, context is not simple at all. And so num- num- number one, if you're going to do this, uh, you need to look at text. Uh, a second issue with um, uh, dealing with text is, is the complexity of text itself. People take language for granted. We take language for granted because we speak language, but our heads are stuffed full of rules, rules of spelling, rules of meaning, rules of pronunciation, rules of punctuation. We don't realize it, but when we communicate, either writing or speaking, uh, our our brain in the background is processing, I don't know how many million, but a lot of rules. And and, and, uh, we take it for granted because our our brains just do this. But when you start to put text on a computer, you find out that text on a computer does not have all of this background information about the text and, and what things mean. So uh, between context and the myriad of rules that are, that are inherent to, to language, that makes it very difficult to, uh, to, 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 to deal with text. Now, what we've done at Forestrim and my company is we have taken uh, text and, and we know how to handle uh, context 
and we've taken text and turned it into a, a structured database. Now, I'm not, believe it or not, a great, particularly a fan of structured databases, but the truth of the matter is, is that the uh, analytical uh, uh, engines of the world, the, the, where we do analysis on, uh, that's what they operate on, uh, whether it's Tableau or Power BI or Neo4j or TigerGraph or whatever you want to talk with, uh, they insist that you have a structured format. So, so if you're going to do analytical processing against text, you've got to put text into a structured format. So those are, those are just some of the major issues that you come across when you want to take text and start to use text analytically. I think that relates a lot uh, to things outside of text specifically, going back to the discussion on metadata, uh, you know, with some of our clients who are working in the media and entertainment world, uh, doing 3D animation and video games, uh, one of the repeating themes is just uh, is that question of, of metadata. And, uh, you know, ultimately, which is that form of, of context. Um, I find it fascinating. The word context con in Spanish means with, so with, with text. So the uh, context is the stuff you put with text to give it uh, the, uh, the meaning. And, and I think that's uh, the key to bridging the world between highly structured data from which we can do analytics and draw conclusions like you were referring to and the unstructured world where things uh, are uh, difficult to, uh, to to boil down to to those kinds of decision making uh, points, and it uh, really does revolve around metadata. So, in the organization organizations that you've seen be most successful in moving towards initiatives that are highly analytical, leveraging data, um, who owns the initiative? Um, what is it that an organization needs to do to get started if they haven't already down this path of really leveraging data as an asset? Molly, what I'm about to tell you gives me great pain to tell you this, but it's also the truth. Uh, we have tried talking with technicians until uh, we're blue in the face, and technicians just don't understand or accept the fact that, that uh, text can be used analytically. So instead, we talk directly to the business person. And, and the, the, in, in fact, we go so far as on the initial talk with a, a, a client, uh, we ask, are there any technicians in the room? And if they are, we politely ask them to leave the room uh, because uh, technicians uh, just don't get it for whatever reason. I don't know why. I, I, I can't explain it, but, but I do know that, that, that that's been our experience. So. Uh, uh, when you talk to doctors, for example, doctors understand the value of being able to look at uh, a thousand uh, patient records at a time. Uh, we're working with an oil company. Uh, a particular oil company has uh, uh, 20,000 documents for each well that they have. Uh, and they're unable to, to answer such simple questions as uh, uh, who does maintenance for us? Uh, 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 what kind of pump do we need uh, 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 for a well? And so, uh, uh, so when we talk to people about their problems, we avoid the technician almost at all costs. Now, eventually, the technicians got to be involved, but uh, but but over and over, 
the technician is 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 an obstacle to success. And I wish I didn't have to say that because I come from a world of technicians, but 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 that's the way that's the truth. I, I don't find that very surprising. I think it's a tendency, especially the more uh, specialized and technical you are, to to get framed or work within the framework of what we are used to and what is possible today and what we believe are those. It's the classic Plato's cave challenge of understanding, you know, what the world would be like in in 3D as opposed to uh, two-dimensional, you know, shadow puppets on the wall of a cave from the fire. And the technicians are very much trying to make do with the limitations that they've lived within throughout their career and that makes it hard to um to even imagine what uh what could be done otherwise so I, I i don't find that so surprising we do tend to see that to some extent in our field where people assume that the way things are done is that the file system is embedded inside of each distinct storage platform system and that data management is done by copying between them. And it's uh, a complete paradigm shift to talk about uh, the file system existing independent of the different storage platforms and having a, you know, a singular global, uh, global file environment independent of where the data is stored. So you, you do end up having to go to the business owners and the folks who are trying to imagine better ways to do things. Um, versus how to make do with the current uh, world of, of constraints that they live in. As we start to tie up the conversation, I'd love to help people with what's next or where they can learn more. David, I know you quite well, and I know you tend to like to speak to business leaders. And one of the things I would say is, for, as folks listening to this conversation, whether you're a technologist, you're on the business side, wherever you sit in the organization, um, I, I really do believe that these conversations do have to start at a strategy and business level and map to an initiative the company has, whatever that is, a new product, a new set of efficiencies, um, new research. But David, I think it's fair to say you would make yourself available to conversations with business leaders. And Bill, as you have, I know you have a bunch of books out there and I think you're even willing to do some book giveaways, but how do people tend to engage with you? Um, is it typically reading the written materials you have. I know you speak at conferences. Where might people learn more from you? Most of the people that I, I uh, work with uh, have read books or articles that I've done. And, and uh, uh, so that, that, that's the normal way. On the other hand, uh, people call me on the phone. You wouldn't believe the phone calls I get. Uh, so, uh, and, and a lot of the phone calls are quite interesting. Some of the phone calls are not interesting. Definitely connect both these gentlemen on LinkedIn if you're interested in connecting and learning more. Um, I think that as an industry, there's an, an opportunity here for us to continue to move faster and not just storing, but actually using the data we have to drive all kinds of interesting innovations in um, the human experience and businesses and all of that. And this is kind of what this podcast is about. And definitely feel free to reach out to me as the host. Um, if you have other guests you'd like to see on this show, or if you want help gaining connection with the guests who've been on the show, we'd love that. Um, but as we wrap things up, uh, thank you, David. Thank you, Bill, for your time today. And we look forward to future conversations.
Thanks for listening to Data Unchained, powered by Hammerspace. To learn more, visit hammerspace.com. If you have a guest you would like to hear on the show, email me at molly at hammerspace.com. Oh,